Welcome to Episode 6 of the Signal Integrity Fundamentals Podcast. I'm Eric Bogatin, Signal Integrity Journal Technical Editor, and today I'm chatting with Amit Ball of Sierra Circuits. This episode is sponsored by Rodian Schwartz. And Amit is the PCB guy at Sierra Circuit. So Amit, welcome to our conversation here. And let me just start out and, and ask you, what exactly does the PCB guy at Sierra Circuits do? Uh, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me uh, on your show. Um, the PCB guy is really uh, about being the connection between PCB manufacturing and the customer. So there's a lot that goes along with manufacturing good quality circuit boards and customers may or may not know what those things are. And I feel like I'm like the evangelist for, you know, what goes on under the hood in a PCB manufacturing company. So that's, that's why that kind of title came about. Okay. Well, you know, in almost every uh, discussion I've had with folks that are pushing the limits to uh, the design needs and PCBs, the number one theme that keeps coming up is how important it is for the OEM and the designer to work with the PCB fab shop. And so you, you are that key guy then in that key relationship between the design community and the fab community. Absolutely. And, you know, just my general nature is very uh, oriented towards collaboration. And I've seen uh, as I've grown up in this industry, how everyone's focused on their own work, which is very important, but very little cross collaboration with the PCB manufacturing and, you know, let's say the OEM or the electrical engineer, because everyone has their own uh, challenges and, uh, and to overcome. But uh, Seeing the benefit of collaboration, I felt it was just my duty to assist the industry wow. with that. So. so when you look at the kind of the, the whole spectrum of kind of circuit board design capabilities out there, um, where, where is that point where that collaboration is really critical? Where is it an okay, nice to have versus a, this is really critical for the success of the design where you have to really get in touch with someone like you? Yeah, that's a great question, Eric. Well, so I think that, um, you know, designers, uh, most designers who have good experience, they know what they're doing and collaboration um, is a nice to have in that scenario. Uh, unless they're working on a technology they haven't really done before because you don't know what you don't know kind of a scenario happens. And so just asking the questions uh, to a fabricator, to a you know, uh, engineer at a PCB company, you'll start learning things that you never thought you needed to know, but actually turn out to be helpful. So I think that, you know, to give a very specific answer, you know, a lot of our customers, they're always pushing the envelope in terms of different material usages, hybrid material stack ups, um, you know, finer lines, um, you know, just different feature sets in their PCBs like cavities or rigid flex boards or laser vias or stack vias. If any of these kind of are within the, the toolkit of what you need as a electrical engineer or PCB designer to achieve what you're trying to achieve in terms of form, fit, and function, you should be talking to your fabricator. Wow. Okay. So it's anything outside of what we think of as kind of conventional PCB design, you know, with uh, right. standard off-the-shelf materials, through holes, you know, five mil wide line and space kind of thing. Anything beyond that is where that collaboration is really important. Absolutely. And I'll give you a very specific example that happened this past week. So uh, this customer uh, 
sent in their data for a 10 layer board, all through holes, very standard, um, you know, relatively standard thickness. The difference here was heavy copper. So they had four ounce copper. It was a, a power board. Uh, and, you know, you would think, okay, nothing can really go wrong. It's just a standard board with four ounce copper on the inner layers. Well, things did go wrong because the customer didn't really balance any of their copper layers from, uh, you know, layer to layer. They had, you know, isolated traces. There was, you know, there were issues with the design that could have helped the manufacturing side uh, that we later ironed out. But if it, if you have anything out of the norm, it does not hurt to talk to the fabricator to just get a sense of what you don't know and maybe you should mm -hmm. you know, modify so, your design based on that. Looking at the kind of, of um, jobs that you get in at CR Circuits, do you have a rough feel for you know what percentage of those jobs are conventional that yeah, straight off, you know, just throw the design over the fence and, and it gets done versus the, the ones that are pushing the envelope and using kind of the state-of-the-art technology? Right now, we're probably at about 50-50. So our standard technology that we do, uh, we do it uh, quickly and in conjunction with assembly. So it's very easy and convenient for our customers, especially with the component prices that's happening. On yeah. the high-tech side, we are just... I would say you, you use the best words, you know, we are critical to success for our customers so they can, um, you know, achieve what they want to with these innovative uh, manufacturing techniques. And so one of the things that you're kind of alluding to is if a design requires that state-of-the-art technology, it's not enough that the fab house can implement that technology, but they have to have that connection to the designer, like that, that, that PCB guy, the role that you play in order for the success of uh, implementing that new technology in a, in a design. That's correct. Yep. That's right. And so can you, can you give me a couple of examples of some of these uh, advanced technologies that you guys have that you're implementing in some of the, the higher end uh, designs? Sure. Sometimes it's a uh, very straightforward one, one type of uh, critical part of the board design, like let's say, um, you know, fine line technology. So anything less than two mil trace in space or 50, micron, 50 microns facing and below. Um, let's say that's the only additional kind of out of the box uh, manufacturing technique required. That's one area. Another area is when different uh, techniques or manufacturing technologies play on each other. So for example, let's say a rigid flex design with uh, stacked microvias, um, maybe some, you know, embedded uh, materials that, you know, can, can kind of help with eliminating your passives on your board. So I know Tyser and Omega Ply are those type of material vendors uh, where you can reduce your, your bill of material uh, and maybe shrink your designs. So in that case, uh, you know, there's like two or three things that play off of each other and make it a little bit more critical to have that collaboration and figure out what's actually possible, um, either at your fabricator facility or any fabrication facility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's go back to that topic of the fine lines. So when you get to really fine lines, you know, kind of HDI technology, you have to couple that to microvia technology as well. Um, and so um, uh, when you look at the, the high end or of, uh, of fine lines or the finer lines, um, what, what do you consider as here's conventional, easy off the shelf. 
here's the stuff that requires the new technology and, and where is that new technology going? Great. Yeah, great question. So, you know, I think that uh, most fabricators can do five mil trace in space, four mil trace in space. When it gets to three mil trace in space, that's where you have to pay attention to, um, you know, what else is happening on the board. Uh, if it's, let's say, a, a space application or, you know, this uh, DS requirement from IPC, and there has to be a very clear wrap requirement, and it's three mil trace in space on an out, outer layer, and there's uh, via and pad technology. Now you have multiple plating processes that happen on the outer layer, and you could have, you know, these requirements play off of each other and cause an issue in manufacturing if you don't design it properly or with your fabricator. So it is there is a combination of what are the different technologies and requirements that play off of each other. Then when you get below three mil trace in space, I would definitely call that advanced technology. And most fabricators uh, today, uh, you know, stop around the three mil mark, but there are some that can do between two mils and three mils. And I would say that's the next kind of bucket of advanced technology. And then you have your less than two mils uh, bucket. So kind of like your one mil to two mil or your 25 micron to 50, 50 micron of uh, trace and space. And so and, and that, those yeah. are the buckets I would define. And where are you guys? What kind of um, uh, limit do you guys have for current production? Yeah, so at the three mil trace and space, we're using standard uh, PCB manufacturing techniques. When it goes three mil to two mil, um, we're using a semi-additive manufacturing technique. And then when it goes from less than two mils, we're using a fully additive technique. And uh, what that means, and the different, the biggest innovation I would say that we have so far, we have a patent on how to do the uh, you know completely additive technique, which is we laser the trench of the you know copper trace in the pad. So instead of etching your traces and your pads, even etching through a thin copper foil, we're actually just lasering uh, the shape of the trace in the pad and then um, plating that up. So it's a completely additive process. So let me see if I understand it. So you start with a flat dielectric surface. You laser pattern where you want the trace to go, um, right. and then you uh, electrically uh, uh, deposit copper everywhere. And then, how do you yes. keep it just in the trench? You have to etch back then, pattern the trench and etch back. No, no etching. We uh, we do use uh, like the regular PCB process, like the resist, to let's say shape the trace. So it will. Uh, plate within the trench and nowhere else because of uh, the resist that we have on the product. Okay, so it's a flash layer. So your semi add is that semi additive or that's the fully additive process? This is the this is the fully additive. Fully so added laser. Process. We laser with the we laser the trench. We yeah. seed uh, just the trench with the normal Qposit process. Oh, I and see. Everywhere else on the, yeah. Okay. Everywhere else on the board doesn't have any copper. Okay, so you use some kind of a resist then to um, yeah. make sure you're only patterning the trench. Uh, you let that electrically deposit, uh, and then um, uh, uh, it's fully additive in the trench. Um, exactly. And so the copper grows kind of in the trench, maybe up to kind of self-planarizes then up to the, the top layer. Exactly. Wow, okay. And so um, once you've got those very fine lines, 
it's almost a planar process. Then you just add more dielectric and continue the process, or that's typically on the top layer? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it can be on inner layers or outer layers. Okay. So on an inner layer, you'll never really know, you know whether the, tra <laughs> the trace was formed through trenching process or a subtractive process. Um, you know, in a in the inner layer process, most people use this Kubrick etching system. It gives you very, uh, you know, kind of straight lines, uh, you know, in terms of your trace and your etch. And mm -hmm. that would be very similar to a laser pattern. On the outer layer, you would notice the most difference because you have an extremely flat surface now. Um, and there's no, you know, extra copper on top of the dielectric. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you find that if you use the, your ultra fine line, you know, advanced technology processes um, are, are in order to access those, you have to use micro vias then if they're not on the top layer. Exactly. I think fine line technology plays along with uh, laser drilled micro vias. Okay. Yeah. And that's the preferred technology to fabricate the micro vias and is laser drilling. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And how many layers typically, so this is kind of the HDI layers that are, uh, that right. could be on top of cores or kind of sequential buildup. How many layers of the very fine line do you find typically in, in designs? Is it typically just one or multiple layers? Well, I think it's uh, the, the thing is that there's not too many fine line designs out there because designers have been very shy. Um, you know, it's, I guess the phrase is once bitten, twice shy, um, you know? Yeah. So, you know, anyone who goes below three mils in the past, they're like, my God, my fabricator had no hope in, in building that product. And huh. um, so they just, they're like, oh, we just want to go with standard manufacturing techniques. Just tell me the standard manufacturing techniques because of this fear of, um, and rightly so, of the yield and the cost and all of that. So, you know, right now the fine line uh, technology, if you still are going to etch it, you know, and do a semi-additive process, you still will have, um, you know, some issues, right? Uh, because etching is a variable process. Uh, with this uh, trenching technology, you know, it's, it's a little bit more exact. And so the yields are fine. So on a more dense board in the past, you would have to build primarily on a 12 by 18 panel, which is a smaller manufacturing panel. And so the cost goes up. And then with the trenching technology, you can build on an 18 by 24 and your cost won't necessarily, you know, skyrocket because of that one factor. So uh, I think it's uh, the industry is moving that way and designers need to kind of, uh, you know, try it out again and, and see uh, for themselves really that, you know, what can I do with this technology? Mm -hmm. You know, be, be daring, be adventurous. Don't just stick to the conventional norms because you know they work. And the other thing you're saying is that for you guys, this is not a bleeding edge technology. This is a more mature technology. You're ready to accept orders and consider your process pretty high yield. Um, so you, your customers can expect success in these very fine line uh, boards. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Do you, do you find, I'm just trying to think where the application space, the killer app is for this kind of uh, fine line capability. Do you, do you see it as, as just um, uh, putting surface mount connectors on or for you know, fine pitch BGA parts? Where's the killer app for the fine lines? Well, that's a great question. And I wish I knew that answer <laughs> uh, right off the bat, but uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit where I feel that the collaboration has to happen. 
you know, what are the challenges, what are the problems that EEs and design engineers are facing? And how can, you know, we together apply this technology to solve those issues? But yes, what you said for sure, you know, breakout of 0.3 millimeter pitch VGAs, um, you know, if it's a, a decent sized array, you know, you're gonna need fine line, uh, no question about it. If you wanna reduce your thickness or by, and then, you know, reduce your layer counts and have less signal layers, mm. uh, more power and grounds, um, you know, all that type of thing, then uh, I think this would be a great kind of a technology. So I guess the, uh, the question is, how do you see yourself using this uh, technology? It's, um, it's there and uh, there's a lot of, I see a lot of potential with it, um, primarily from a space reduction and size reduction mm. kind of a scenario. But you also get the benefit of being able to control the shape of your trace a little bit better. So it's not going to have this trapezoidal effect if you don't want it to, right? So you can have, um, you can eliminate that if you, if you need to in terms of your, um, in terms of your traces. And if you have any kind of microwave application that you need very, very accurate and very interesting shapes, you can start playing around with that as well um, because you're not doing an etching process. You're not doing a variable. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the kind of potentials of this type of technology. Okay, great. And well, it's good to know that you've got the capability in place and now it's a matter of, uh, you got a, a kind of a solution in search of a problem. It's a matter of finding the, the right set of problems that this is really uh, adapted for. I want to um, switch gears a little bit. One of the things that that um, I, I think is a really useful feature you guys offer on your website is you have all these design tools uh, uh, available uh, for anyone to, to take advantage of. Um, and I recently checked out, you have that um, online uh, 2D field solver uh, uh, transmission line design for single-ended and differential impedance. And I thought that was very unique. There are a lot of, I see a lot of online calculators for impedance, but they're all equation-based. A lot, a lot of approximations. You don't really have a good feel for how good the approximation is, but the one you have available has a 2D field solver under the hood. And so you have confidence in the accuracy of the, of the calculation. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, Eric, you said it best. And, you know, the, the idea of, uh, you know, designing it right the first time, um, you know, that's the idea in which we've Kind of introduce this tool and other tools as well on our site you know designers come to us for a lot of questions uh, all the time and you know our job is to service the the market you know as best as we can and so we felt that these sophisticated tools um, that really solve the designers problems and issues up front um, was the best way to do it you know interesting. you call it sophisticated design tools yet your user interfaces are really simple easy to use user interface. So you've, you've managed to hide a lot of that sophisticated complexity uh, under the hood uh, in, in what the, the user gets to see. Um, so you have another tool that does um, stack up design. What exactly does that do? Yeah. So stack up design, you know, same, same idea, you know, when a designer is uh, designing their board, the stack up deserves a lot of attention, right? So you, it's not just a mechanical thing. It's also plays into reducing your EMI and you know, reducing your crosstalk and having a good electrical performance on your board. Uh, so our stack up tool uh, provides that under the hood. So if you have a, let's say a BGA you wanna break out, you know, we would recommend, 
you know, stack up for that, you know, it could include blind vias as well. So, you know, a customer starts out with a stack up that's manufacturable. I guess that's the, that's always been the idea. Uh, they don't have to experiment too much. They know that, Hey, this is a known good stack up. It's been characterized and uh, it's going to work for me. So it's, it's a, has a lot of advantages to get to where you're going quicker. In your 2D tool, you have a really nice uh, library of uh, materials that you can select from based on the thickness you want. You've got the, I guess it's the engineering data sheets that has the dielectric constant as you change the glass and the resin mix, and you can build a, a stack up directly from that. So you have that same library integrated into the stack up tool then, so you can select any kind of materials that you guys have in inventory from it? Yep, exactly. Yeah, so we... We've combined those two tools together, and I think together they really make an impact because, you know, just doing characterization is one thing, but then, you know, how does that look in your final uh, stack up? I think that's another question and deserves just as much as attention. Uh, so putting those two things together, I think really will provide a lot of benefit to our customers. And these tools are available for anybody or just your customers get access to them? I'm saying my customers, uh, but yes, anyone has access to these tools. They're Right now they're free. So, you know, have at it. You okay. know, we're seeing a lot of traffic on the site and we're seeing a lot of people use them. So it's good. It's great stuff. And And, and what is the website again to go to for these tools? Yeah, so if you just go to our main website, www.protoexpress.com, and then from there, there's a menu for tools, and you can, I think there's like five to seven tools right now. You can pick anyone you want and just go for it. Wow, that's great. I, I have to say, I've taken advantage of some of these. I tell my students to use them because it's not very common to have access to such high, high-end tools that are free that anybody can use with a really low, low learning curve access to them. So um, I strongly recommend uh, those tools you got. And thank you from the industry's perspective from, for uh, putting in place these tools and making them available for, uh, for us designers. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Um, this concludes um, uh, today's uh, conversation uh, with Amit. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and sharing your experiences. And to all of our listeners out there, please check out the Signal Integrity Journal Fundamentals podcast and all the future episodes online at podcasts.signalintegritygournal.com. I want to thank sponsor today, Rodian Schwartz. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hope to see you in our next episode.